Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. What's up, guys? Glad to see you this morning on this beautiful fall day. Uh, the Halloween's coming up, so this is the last day where it's actually beautiful fall, and then it'll snow, and then we'll all be miserable for six months. So sorry about that. Uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news there. Uh, enjoy today. Now, uh, today I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I'm going to talk about something I'm not technically allowed to talk about. I know. It's off limits to me. Uh, but I'm going to do it anyway. Have you guys ever heard of this word called anxiety? not supposed to talk about it necessarily. Uh, it's a word that I came up with a few years ago uh, to describe this feeling that sometimes people get a fear, dread, or uneasiness. In fact, if you look up definitions of anxiety, they differ just wildly all across the board. Um, but that's sort of like the core of it. It's the main character of the second season of Ted Lasso, if you've watched that show. Um, it's also a, the feeling most closely associated with Thanksgiving political discussions, of course. Uh, it's also, more seriously, the name of a broad group of psychological disorders. In fact, a lot of things fall under uh, this category. And it affects 19.1% of adults and 31.9% of teenagers. And in fact, it is estimated uh, that 31% of adults will have some sort of anxiety-related issue, a sort of like, you know, a, a traceable disorder level uh, event at some point during their life. So almost a third of us. And if the sort of like difference between teenagers and adults, if that statistic continues to change or continues to track in that same direction, then I would imagine that this number of how many people that will experiencing some sort of, or will experience some sort of anxiety event is only going to climb. And the reason why I'm not technically allowed to talk about it is because it typically belongs to the realm of like mental professionals, right? You know, uh, big counseling is investing a lot of money so that I don't talk about this, but I'm going to do it uh, for three reasons. You guys know big counseling, right? Man, it's a, it's a dark group. Uh, first, I'm going to talk about it because I'm a rebel. I don't care about nothing. Can't stop me. Got the microphone. Uh, the second, about, second reason I'm going to talk about it is because talking about it sometimes makes it feel less scary less more normal uh, it's weird that like a third of us talk about it or a third of us experience it and like it doesn't feel like we really really are able to talk about it all that openly uh, we keep it locked away in doctor's offices and counselor's offices the same places where we talk about like warts that we don't want anyone to know that we have or like the fact that we are wondering whether or not our mom ever loved us like that's the places where we keep anxiety right that's kind of weird I think and the final reason why I'm not allowed to talk about this is because the church has actually done a lot of harm in this very particular area. Uh, there has been a lot of people, probably just like me, who are like, I'm a rebel, I don't care, I'm going to talk about it, that have actually ended up hurting people a lot more than they've helped. Uh, I feel like there's even like a reputation among pastors to be like, to kind of have a rub some dirt in it kind of approach to anxiety, right? Be like, oh, you have anxiety? I bet David felt anxiety when Goliath was looking at him. Boom, right? Uh, oh, you have anxiety? Maybe you should pray more and you'll feel better, right? Boom, fixed, right? And if that were the case, then anxiety would be gone because enough people have said that, right? 
the church, I think, though, just while I'm actually at this point, because I'm always a big defender of the church, the church has probably done a little bit of good in this as well. But those are not as, like, catchy of stories, I think, you know. Women ha- woman has slightly less depression than she could have had if she were not a part of a community group, right? It's not a very catchy story, I don't think. But it probably happened, right? It's probably happened in your life to some degree. So why talk about it today? Two reasons. Uh, one, we are a landlocked state, and I just don't know about talking about a sea storm, you know, while we're in Colorado. Everyone's going to be conjuring Im- images of, like, a particularly wavy Sloan's Lake or something like that, and I don't think that's necessarily what uh, we're supposed to take away. I also don't think the takeaway from today's story is that Jesus is about as cool as the second best, or the second worst Captain Planet Planeteer, right? Uh, just power over water is not all that impressive. And the reason, I think even more so, that I want to talk about this today is because I think that Jesus, having control over nature, having control over, like, things that are still, like, immutable laws of our world, right? There's even ways that we can, like, seed a cloud and make a storm, but we still haven't found a way to, like, stop a storm when it's happening. Nobody has the power to just, like, calm waves that are going on. Like, as technologically advanced as we are, we still don't actually have the power to do that. But I want to ask you this, which would be more impressive? If Jesus could come down and actually calm a storm right in front of you, or if he could actually stop your anxiety. What would be more impressive to you if there was a God who could stop a storm with a word, or a God who could stop an internal storm inside of you? It's weird, the state that we've gotten to, because I think, uh, in some ways, at least for me, it's easier to believe the, the outside storm thing. It feels like the anxiety that I live with and just sort of operate with is just something that is just going to be with me all the time. It feels kind of impossible to to fix or to remedy. The real reason for the connection between these two is the disciples in the boat inadvertently uttered the slogan of people with anxiety everywhere. Cash read it so expertly, save us, Lord, we are perishing, right? Uh, The uh, NIV translation says, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Uh, The King James in classic, like, old-school English understatement, it says, Lord save us, colon, we perish. I really think the Josh Cook Modern Translation says, oh, my God, we're all going to die, right? I think that's what they're saying, you know? Like, look out, we're going to die, this is not good, which is the slogan of people with anxiety everywhere, right? Isn't that just the feeling, like, when you're facing something that is not actually going to kill you, and you're like, ah, I'm going to die, this is not good. That's how it feels somehow. It's this weird feeling like you're going to die even though you are not going to. We've actually been in the process of buying a house, and it is the most first world problem to ever complain about, but it has been freaking terrifying, right? I told Sarah like uh, two weeks ago, I was like, at the end of this week, I am certain at this point that we will owe someone hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't know who, but someone, right? We're going to owe them. I am probably 10% certain that we'll actually have a house. That was like the level of anxiety I was operating at. Like, I know one of, something terrible is going to happen. I don't know if anything good's going to happen, right? And I'm just sort of operating as like this little ball of stress for like weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, I guess actually just to prove that it existed, I would bike by it all the time. It's super close to our current house. I would just ride by and be like, yep, it's still there. Yep, it's still there. I rode by one time. <clears throat> And I saw these guys with, like, a tractor on the driveway, like, digging up the driveway. And I was like, oh, my gosh, here it goes. This is, man, why didn't I know about this? This classic house scam where you buy a house and they tear it down before you get to move in. 
Like, man, I should have picked up on this. I need to be smarter about this. And I literally, like, you know, anxiously called my realtor. Like, I, like, parked my bike on the street. And I'm like, they're tearing down the house! And she's like, no, no, I don't think that's the case. And I went over and talked to the guys. It was, like, just some, like, random utility work. And then we actually got to put our handprints in the concrete. So all of it worked out well. But still, I was, like, operating as this just tiny ball of stress. Uh, wondering about all of the terrible things that could have possibly happening. And the, fe the feeling that I had was the same, I think, as the disciples in the boat right here saying, oh my God, I'm going to die. We're not going to make it. This is not going to happen. I'm going to come to some sort of like harm. And it's weird that this is not something that actually should have caused me any fear for my life, right? But I think that's just the weird way that anxiety operates. The fact that it hits us in this feeling of like we're a like personal threat to our own safety when it's usually something that's not even threatening our actual life. I would suggest to you today that we are more afraid of the waves that are in our own head than we are of real waves. That the storm inside of us is worse than the storm outside of us. And that the God who made our minds, and it's the same one who made weather and the seas and has control over them, I want to suggest to you that maybe, just maybe, this God can do something about our anxiety as well. Let's take a look together. Here's verse 23 and 24 again. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. I love this because I don't know about your job particularly. Uh, my job, at least on Sundays, is to, to talk to people, right? And that's what Jesus was doing. And bro, it is tiring for no reason. Maybe Jesus was an introvert and he was just peopled out. That's my hunch here, right? You ever get to that point? He's been talking to these huge crowds. He's been healing people, doing all this stuff. Bro needed a nap. And here's what you need to know too. This was not Carnival Cruise Lines, right? This is not like a 60-story boat and Jesus gets to go into his little cabin. They actually found one of these boats pretty recently. The, apparently the Sea of Galilee was like lowering. Now it's not like uh, the Hoover Dam where when the water lowers, they found a bunch of dead bodies. Instead, they found this like boat uh, from around the same time as Jesus was alive, right? And in classic, you know, biblical archaeology, they were like, clearly this is Jesus's boat. I, somebody, I see Jesus was here, scratched into the wood right here. Must be. It's from around the same time period, so we got to believe this is the boat that Jesus was riding in, right? So I don't know about that. But what's interesting about this boat, you can look it up online. Uh, it's really just like a little skeleton of a boat. Um, there is no lower deck, right? Jesus was not like asleep, like down below, in a bed, comfy cozy. Like this boat is like what we would call just a little like John boat today or something. And he, Jesus is somehow asleep. Like water is probably splashing in his face. Uh, they are bouncing around and dude is just chilling out pretty hard, right? Somehow he is able to sleep through this whole thing. And I thought about this. Uh, at this time, mostly, I think, because of Jesus' slightly kind of salty response. I had this idea where I was like, did the disciples really think? Like that, uh, so at this point, they've been following Jesus around for a little while. He's done the Sermon on the Mount. They've seen him do some healings. They've seen him do some pretty crazy stuff, right? Did they really think that at this point that the Son of God was here on earth and he was going to die in a boating accident? Like he was just going to like sleep through the whole thing, dead. That was it. Man, what a weird journey. The past six months have been pretty strange for us. We were following around this guy. We gave up our jobs. We decided to follow him, and then he just died in a boating accident. That would be the strangest ending to this story of all time. And I think, again, that's why Jesus was kind of salty. Like, dude, did you really think this was going to happen? 
Because in the reality, Jesus wasn't worried. Jesus wasn't worried at all. This huge storm was popping up, and here Jesus is just here taking a nap. It actually makes me think about rafting. Uh, I have officially been rafting too many times, at least on these couple of rivers. Uh, I know we got some pro rafters in the crowd, you know, but uh, for me, I'm done with it. I've been too many times. I've like seen behind the curtain, right? And so uh, what usually happens is they give you this huge safety spiel, you can die, all this stuff. I've done it a few times, I've never died. Uh, you're, they give you this helmet that is just like the thinnest piece of plastic imaginable and smells of just sweat of a thousand teenagers, right? And then they put on a perpetually wet life jacket for you. Like, I don't know how they stay wet forever, but they are. And then they put you in this boat and there's a 26-year-old raft guide in the back and he's got long hair and uh, he's got painted toenails. Uh, they claim it's because that they can like, they don't deteriorate in the water, but I don't know if that's necessarily true, right? And he is perpetually either drunk or high. That is part of the raft guide package. If you've never noticed this before, it's happening. I don't know about Noah's Ark, maybe they're better people over there, drug testing perhaps, but the rest of the raft guides always. And so you go, they give you all these commands of like, you gotta make sure you paddle right, you gotta paddle left. Have you ever been in like a bum boat, like a, just a really, really lame boat, like people, you know, the person across from you is like doing the paddling thing, they're not even touching the water, they're just like splashing and stuff. You still survive. You know what carries you down the river? The river, not your paddles, right? I think it's all a sham. I don't even care about the paddling anymore. I think he's just trying to make you feel like you're a part of this thing, because riding in a boat would not be as fun. But really, he's doing it all in the back, right? And the other thing that I've worried or learned is that I am never worried until that guy is worried, which everything I've told you about the raft guy means he's never worried, right? He's like, chill, brah, we're going to have a good time. He's over there cracking jokes about like, oh, we call that, you know, crackhead rock because if you hit it, you'll crack your head on it or something, <laughs> you know, like the stupid jokes. I never worry, though, because he is never worried. Like, it's taken away all of the thrill for me because I'm like, we're going to survive this. I am not worried about this one bit. Look at this guy having a good time. He's been down this river a million times, and he's not worried at all. And I think, in a weird way, that Jesus is just like this raft guy. Well, only in one way that he's not worrying. Okay, so imagine, forget all of the other ways that he might be like this raft guy. Jesus is not worried. He's in the boat asleep during this storm, and he is not one bit concerned as to whether or not they are going to make it through this storm. My hypothesis is, if Jesus isn't worried about something, if the guy who's in charge of the wind and the waves and the weather and created the world, if he is not worried, maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't be all that worried either. Right? Like, if he could weather this whole thing without stressing out or even, like, deigning to wake up, why should we worry about it? I wonder... And this is, you know, again, not medical advice, so please don't sue me. But I wonder how much of our anxiety that we deal with on a regular daily basis, how much of it could be cut off at the head by asking ourselves the question whether or not this is something that we should be worrying about. This is what we do with kids, right? Like, this is what you coach kids through all the time. You say, oh, no, 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 don't worry about that, right? It's Halloween, and inexplicably, everybody's putting, like, scary stuff in their yards, right, for, for whatever reason. And, like, uh, Evie will, like, walk up and get kind of, like, scared at, like, a spider. Like, we've been in a restaurant before. There's, like, a spider coming down from the ceiling. She's like, ooh. And my response is to tell her, hey, don't worry about that. It's not a big deal, right? She's even started doing it back to me. 
she thinks I'm terrified of skeletons. It's a long story, but I'm keeping it going as long as I can. And uh, she thinks I am so very scared of skeletons. And then we'll see one. I'll pretend to freak out. Sometimes I'll lay it on a little bit thick. I'm a good actor. And all of a sudden, she's like, no, 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 Dad, don't worry about it. It's not real. And I go, oh, my goodness, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And it's not just like something nice to say. It's actually the way that we are coaching children to think about what they should worry about and what they shouldn't worry about, right? Don't you think we as an adult probably need that coaching to ourselves a little bit sometimes? Like if you've ever spiraled, you know that at the very beginning of the spiral, if you could just assess whether or not this is a big deal and worth spiraling about, it's going to save you so much stress and strain and anxiety later on. Something of a mantra that I have been thinking of uh, this past week as I've been prepping for this is to ask yourself, is Jesus worried about this? To which the answer is probably no. The whole world is controlled by him. The whole world is completely in his hands and following his plan. Is Jesus surprised by this? Again, the answer is no. Imagine the sort of derailing of a spiraling that could be answered by that question, right? Is Jesus surprised? Is this outside of his realm of control? The answer here, again, no. Not outside of his realm of control. But does he care that it's happening to you? And there the answer is yes. Think through that the next time that you're facing one of these like anxiety-inducing events. Let's continue on. This is how Jesus responds to the disciples. They went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? So, they wake him up. They throw all of their anxiety on him. They say, God, we are perishing. This is not good. We don't like it. I like to think, actually, one of the disciples that was in the boat is a guy named Peter. One day he would go on to write some letters that they would name after him, 1 Peter, right? And so he writes in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I have to wonder, was he thinking about this moment when he wrote this? Like, as he's, like, writing this down, was he, like, remembering that time that we were in the boat and we all thought we were going to die and we just, like, threw our junk at Jesus? We said, oh, my God, we're going to die. You've got to help us, Jesus. And Jesus responds, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Two words stand out in that sentence, in that response. Afraid and faith. Jesus' statement here implies that the two are at odds, the two are opposed to each other, that if they had more faith, they wouldn't be afraid. And if you think about it, that's really what anxiety actually is. At its core, it is a sense of fear. Specifically, it is uncalled for fear, right? When you are locked in a cage with a lion, even the best counselor in the world would tell you that some anxiety is probably healthy at that point, right? Uh, You probably need to be a little bit of afraid, right? But it's when that anxiety or that fear pops up in us when we're not expecting it or we don't want it, when it becomes unhealthy in our lives. But here they have no reason to fear. Jesus is with them. They have no reason to be afraid. In fact, the Bible is not so big on fear. 
First John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Genesis 15.1 says, after these, th- after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Matthew 10.31, Fear not, therefore. You are, worth, you are of more value than many sparrows. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In fact, there is only one thing that the Bible actually advises you to fear, and that is to fear God himself. Matthew 10, 28 says, And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Hebrews 10, 31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus here sees their fear and instead calls them to have faith. That believing in him is some sort of antidote to fear. That's not what I typically do when I'm afraid. It's not what I typically run to. My first thought is not, hey, I'm scared. I should actually turn to Jesus and believe in him. Instead, we typically turn to our own strength, right? If you're fearful of like a home invasion or something, then you buy a gun. If you're fearful of your boss, then you try and avoid them. If you're fearful of growing up, maybe you like grow your hair out really long and uh, start dressing like a teenager again uh, and trying to learn cool words from TikTok, just saying. Uh, You turn to your own power, your own abilities. Jesus instead calls them to have faith. Faith, as the author of Hebrews tells us, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things you cannot see. Jesus is asking them to have faith that he will take care of them in spite of the storm around them. Which is really good because they can't do a single thing about the waves. Ever thought about that? Jesus doesn't respond, no, you take care of it. No, you got to manage these waves. Hey, you got to buck up. You got to take care of your own life. You got to be in charge of your own life. You got to manage your own anxiety, man. No. He says, have a little faith, which tells us something. That Jesus is not calling you to calm the waves. He's just calling you to believe that he can. That's what Jesus does in response to their anxiety, right? Let's look at it again. And then they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose, or then he rose, and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? They say, What a guy. Even the uncontrollable elements of our world submit to him. What a guy. This Jesus that even the wind and the sea in our mind could obey him. He doesn't tell them how to do it. He only corrects them because they didn't believe that he could do it. And that's really what faith is, right? It's imagining something in your mind that you can't actually see. It's imagining that the God of the universe might actually care enough about you to protect you even in a terrible situation, even when your anxiety is weighing heavily upon you. Believing that God might be able to do something you can't even imagine would be possible. And here's what I'm inviting you today to do. I am asking you to join me in inviting Jesus into these storms, even the ones in your mind. 
I am asking you to believe that Jesus is actually bigger than your anxiety. Now, what I'm not asking you to do is just sort of pray and expect your anxiety never to come back. I think that's possible. I think God could do that. I think that's actually the first step of faith of saying like, hey, I know our world tells us that that is completely impossible and absurd, but I'm saying that Jesus could heal you right now. You may never have anxiety again. I'm also inviting you just to pray today. To ask Jesus to be with you in the midst of anxiety. To be with you when you're experiencing it. And maybe through years of counseling, maybe even through medication, that he might actually heal you of that or at least allow you to find a way to manage it. I hope you hear here that we're not opposed to counseling. In fact, if you are somebody at Dwell that needs counseling, uh, we would love to connect you with a counselor. We have a list of people that we send people to, and uh, we take care of a few sessions to sort of get you rolling. We would love to get you hooked up with that. And that might just be the very way that Jesus actually decides to bring you through this storm. I'm calling on you to believe that it's even possible. The only step that I'm inviting you to take with me is to have the faith to believe that it's even possible. That you could actually pray something today to the God that is in charge of the entire universe and years later get to a place where you suddenly recognize, hey, I'm not nearly as anxious as I used to be. Because at the end of the day, God is not calling us to be able to conquer it ourselves. He's calling us just to believe that he can. Maybe you're still not quite sure about Jesus. Maybe you're like kind of on the fence. Maybe the first step for you today is trying, is seeing what it would sort of like feel like, almost like trying on this hat of believing that it's even possible. Believing that it's even possible. That there is a God of the universe who has in charge of everything, who has created the entire world, and that this God who created both the storms out in the world and also your own mind and all of the good and the bad that comes with it, that this God of that universe is not only in control of all of those things, he's not only even in control of your anxiety and could take away it in just the snap of his fingers, but he also cares enough about it. That he's actually right there in the boat with you. That he's actually going along life with you. He's going through this storm with you at the same time and cares that you're going through it. This is the same God of the universe who cared enough, who saw our plight, who saw how broken we were and how alone that we were, that he sent his only son, Jesus, amidst the storm of our life, that he might die on the cross for everything that we've ever done wrong and everything that we might ever do wrong so that we might enjoy right relationship with the God of the universe. That the same God of the universe that cares enough to be with us in the boat in the midst of our anxiety is the same God that would send his son to make it so that we could be with him forever. I am inviting you today to believe in that God. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.